and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you, and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.catherineplano.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Our guest today is a neuro leadership expert and acclaimed executive coach, Josie Thompson, who knows a thing or two about resilience. As a three-time cancer survivor, she's living proof that more than education, more than experience, more than training, more than any one single factor, resilience determines who succeeds and who fails. Her 28-year journey from being an executive in one of the world's largest mining companies to surviving cancer, to juggling the priorities of being a single mum, as well as a multi-award winning coach and entrepreneur, has given her a unique perspective on what it takes to succeed in life and leadership. And this has brought about her mission, to build resilience in leaders and communities. Josie shares exciting scientific advances in the field of resilience that will provide us with answers and tools to increase our own resilience and effectiveness in fostering resilience in others through times of change. So let's tune in to this wonderful, inspirational human being. Enjoy. Welcome to I Am Woman Project, Josie Thompson. How are you today? I'm really well, thank you. So I believe you are based in sunny Brisbane, where the yes. sun always shines, <laughs> not like Melbourne. <laughs> That's right. I actually moved away from Melbourne in 1993 to follow the sun and I've never looked back. Oh, so you would know that Melbourne is like a box of chocolates. You never know what kind of day you're going to have. You could have potentially three seasons in one day mm, at least <laughs> yes so for our listeners Josie let's unpack Josie tell us your story okay well I guess it's it started in Melbourne um, I grew up as part of one one part of a quite a large Italian family I'm related to half of Melbourne uh, my grandparents came out from Italy in the 50s they set up the first fruit shops in Smith Street, Collingwood. So it was not uncommon for, you know, uncles and aunties and all us cousins to live together at the back of the fruit shop. So we often used to gather around a dinner table and there'd be 20 or 30 people there. And that was that was life, you know, growing up in a multicultural Italian community where you always had a trusted loved one who had your back, who you, who you could call on for any kind of support that you needed and so that was a wonderful tapestry of 
connection and community that I grew up with. And then mum and dad afforded their first place in Richmond, uh, went to Catholic schooling, you know, did what all good girls did back in the 80s and got my first job in the State Bank of Victoria and eventually met my first husband at age 22. Um, and then two years after that, um, I was diagnosed with cancer and given six months to live. So that was the demise of that relationship. I think uh, when you're faced with a situation like that that you cannot possibly be prepared for, particularly at such a tender age, we're both age 24, you know, fear is, is a reality of that kind of circumstance. And, you know, uh, it was very difficult and, and it was a challenge that, I guess he wasn't prepared to partner with me through and that was completely acceptable. I completely understood what was going on for him, but my choices were different. So even though I was told I had six months to live, there was this stubborn Italian Taurian female who went, yeah, right, let me prove you wrong. And in those days, um, there wasn't a lot known or spoken about or even experienced around cancer you know like unlike today every one or two person um, has cancer whereas back in 1991 it was actually almost unheard of so it wasn't all that long ago but all of a sudden I was catapulted into a completely new and shocking reality where my life was right in front of me and I had to make some very brave decisions and I didn't really have a map to draw from because everything I'd grown up and believed about religion about God about you know good things happening to good people all of a sudden all of this was just thrown in the air and I had to make sense of this crazy reality based on what was soon to become my own voice and my own truth rather than just blindly accepting all the beliefs and things that I'd, you know, grown up to believe from trusted elders in my life. So <laughs> I'll just pause for a minute because there's a bit there. <laughs> I know. I'm sitting here thinking how did you build the strength? And I love the fact that you said this Italian Torian woman that was like, yes, I'll prove you wrong. Mm. What did you do exactly to get through it? Well, was I scared? Of course I was scared. It was paralyzing fear. But all of a sudden I became really sensitive to fear in terms of, you know, whenever relatives or family came anywhere near me, I could sense the difference between sympathy and support. I could sense the difference between fear and fortitude. And so any of those those sort of negative emotions became a weight. It was like, you know, you hear about energy vampires. Oftentimes when you're in that, that space of fear and worry and concern and anxiety, you're not really focusing on or aware of the impact that you're having on the people around you. And when you're a cancer patient, you become very, very, very sensitive to energies. And so you cannot afford to be in environments with that kind of influence because you need to harness every ounce of strength and belief you possibly can, whether it's within yourself or from some really strong anchored people around you 
to help you get through. And that was really what happened for me. So I asked, when the doctor said, you've got six months to live, and he gave it to me in writing, I looked at those words and thankfully I was beautifully naive about what cancer was and what malignant meant and all of this. And he looked at me and he said, do you understand what I've said? And I said, yep. And he said, do you know what malignant means? I said, yes. And he said, so do you have any questions? And I said, well, how do you know that for sure? How do you know that I've only got six months to live? And he couldn't give me an adequate enough answer. And that's all I needed to be able to say, okay, so maybe there is something I can do. And that really set me off on a journey of self-discovery and to research, to try to understand what this thing called cancer was, the nature of it, how it happens, why it happens, what you can do to heal. And I was only offered very Western-type approaches to um, to treatment, which really freaked me out because I, I didn't know a lot about it. My family were completely naive about it. In fact, they all believed the fact that I had six months to live and went and organised for a Catholic priest to come along and give me my final rites. And I was there sitting saying, what's going on here? And he's, you know, throwing all this holy water around me and my family have got their hands on my head and I'm going, what is going on? I don't know. They didn't ask my permission. They just felt it was the right thing to do because I didn't have long to live. And I was just completely puzzled and then I grew really angry. I'm like, what? Just because you believe that, do not. Do not place that belief on me because I don't believe it and I refuse to consent to this after being almost baptised in, in holy water. Um, but, you know, that, that experience behind me, I started down the route of, you know, radiation therapy and radioactive iodine. And while I was having that, um, one of the managers at BHP where I, where I was now working rang me up and said, why haven't you applied for this job in Brisbane? And I was in the middle of treatment. And I said, well, I'm in the middle of treatment. And he said, well, that's no excuse. Get up here and have an interview. And I did. And I left Melbourne and you'd be able to relate to this. It was a cold, rainy, windy day. And I get to Brisbane and there's blue skies and sunshine, you know. It was like another country. So I remember walking off the tarmac at Brisbane Airport and just pausing and lifting the sleeve on my suit and putting my face to the sun and it felt so good. So I went off to the interview. They offered me the job on the spot. I prayed all night that night asking for assistance in making this decision because my head was saying, don't be stupid, you need to be here, you need the support of your family, you know, this is really serious. And then my heart said, go, don't think about it, just go. And so the following morning I woke up, I picked up the phone and I said, I'm coming. So <laughs> I knew I didn't need time to think about it. So um, I went in for intravenous radiation therapy, which they no longer do because they know it kills people. Um, and I was hospitalised for an intense week of that in an isolation ward. Um, and then the day after I got out of hospital, I moved to Brisbane. 
Wow, Josie, that's that's super amazing. And what I heard, there was a couple of things that I'm just curious about in regards to what you were saying earlier on, that when you're a cancer patient, you become really sensitive to your environment. And for those that are listening that maybe are experiencing this, is this uh, a way of saying choose your environment? Don't be around the environments that suck your energy or the are those people that believe that in the cancer kind of thing, you want to be around a positive environment, people that will support you. I guess what you were just saying that the the gentleman from BHB, if he hadn't said, come on, that's no excuse. He was really encouraging you not to give up and to continue moving Mm. forward. Oh, look, I think he had a more selfish agenda than that, Catherine. I think he he wanted me um, for the job. Um, and he did not know that I, I, I had cancer when he called me. Right. Um, I had done, because I was, I was reasonably well known within um, HR at BHP and he knew of my work, um, he was just surprised that I hadn't applied for the role when it came up and decided to use initiative to say, hey, I think you should come and have a look. And I'm so grateful to this day that he did that because that was the, the pivot point in my life that enabled me to forge my own path and the, uh, my own road in my own life because That's, I would never have left if mm. that opportunity had not come up. That's amazing. And the other thing that you were saying too, yeah, it, it's a blessing in disguise, isn't it? The mm. other thing you were saying, your mind was saying one thing but you felt another. So is that about when you get caught up in your thoughts, for example, because it sounds like you had to do a lot of, uh, I guess, more conscious about what you were thinking and what your thoughts were doing to you because you were saying that instead of listening to your mind, you actually were listening to your heart. So you were moving the energy into your heart. Is that right? Exactly. So, I mean, there's two points I want to pick up on. I want to go back to your point about environment and people um, when you're a cancer patient and then I want to talk about thinking. So um, there's a difference between being positive authentically versus putting on that positive front and when you're a cancer patient let me tell you we can sense the difference very very sensitively so you know you can put on a brave front and say yep I'm comfortable I'm confident I'm strong I believe in you yes you're going to get through this but if it doesn't resonate with your vibration having been in the seat of a cancer patient as well as a carer I can tell you when you're in the cancer patient space, because your sensitivity around fear is heightened, you can smell it a mile off. So if someone's giving you a front of strength but you know it's not real, it'll start to resonate within your own body. So that anxiousness gets transferred through our mirror neuron system into our own bodies and that is unhealthy. And that's why it's really, really important to, to be very, very selfish when you're confronted with a life-threatening disease to make sure that you do surround yourself in environments and with people that can support the healing journey that's required. The problem with that is that sometimes it's the cancer patient themselves that needs to shift vibration. And sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. And I do a lot of work with cancer and leukemia patients and I can tell in one conversation whether where we can set conditions up for a radical recovery or not 
So, and it is all about mindset. And that really does lead to that second point you made about thinking. So I have about 200 books on cancer in my library shelves. And that was because I sought to understand it in as much detail as I possibly could because I knew nothing about it. And this was the days before internet really took off. So I did as much research as I could to to get my head around it and to ask all the questions I could. You know, I was really, really curious about it. And then in probably 2007, 2008, um, I was – already in my vocation as a coach and I was working um, with Dr. David Rock um, in the Neuro Leadership Group and they started doing neuroscience uh, certifications and studies and so I decided to do the Masters in the Neuroscience of Leadership and that was a wonderful opening into this world of neuroscience which taught me about how the brain works and how thinking works and what's the difference between the mind and the brain and what's the impact on our neurobiology and how does that affect our health and how does that affect our capacity to think and make wise decisions and the impact on our performance and our life experience. And so all of a sudden I was connecting all of these dots and I could very confidently say this is why I survived. I actually understand now what I did to maximise my chances of survival. And I guess that first lot of cancer was probably a good one to have if you're going to have cancer because it was started off in my thyroid, was reasonably contained until they disturbed it and I had to have a second surgery. But it was probably a kinder cancer to approach with the, the methodology that I unconsciously used in a very conscious way to get myself through. That's fascinating. And you hear that quite often, that those people that um, work through that journey, the hero's journey, as you call it, as they're uh, going through their cancer journey, a lot of it is the shift in mindset, absolutely. But what about for those that are getting caught in that vortex of negative thinking? Mm. How do they pull themselves of the vortex so that they can uh, start moving towards health well here's the thing it's a choice and you cannot make the assumption that everybody actually wants to this was a very dangerous assumption that I made when people started reaching out to me for support in terms of approach for how they help themselves and oftentimes there's a desire to, to survive, a stated desire, but a desire is not the same as a commitment. Mm. And so I remember there was one guy that I loved so much and he was diagnosed with cancer in September and he died, no, in November actually, and he died in, um, on Australia Day. And I remember when I went and saw him in, in hospital, I would go in there every week and hold his hand because that's the other thing people stop doing when you have cancer is they stop touching you and as you know like we're, we're creatures of connection and we crave touch you know we crave a hug every now and then and it's almost, it was almost like people thought that if they touched me they might catch something and it was it's awful it's just awful but I would go in there I'd massage his feet I'd hold his hands and 
and we'd have a chat and I said to him, Mark, you know, you look tired, you know, do you, do you want to fight this thing? And he burst into tears and he said, I am tired. And I said, you don't want to fight, do you? He said, no, I'm tired. I've had enough. And that's when it hit me that not everybody actually wants to survive. And that was really tough because what I did was support him in surrendering and watching him go. And that was probably the toughest experience that I had at that time. I mean, I've had a lot more since then, but I often say to people, I can guarantee you, I can get you to a place of absolute peace in your healing journey. And that is the space that you need to, to fertilize within yourself, to cultivate within yourself this sense of calmness and peace, because that then leads to much improved conditions in terms of your biology which can set up greater healing potential. But if you've got anxiety and fear and worry and stress going on, well, that, that actually sets conditions up to, you know, um, to grow mm. the diseased condition. So that sense of calm and, and, and peace is really where you've got to get to, where you stop fighting and say, okay, there's a difference between resisting and fighting versus willfully heading in the direction that I want to go without that fight. It's a different kind of fight. Thank you for the insight. I've never looked at it that way, and it's so true. It's it's not not everybody wants to fight fight it. Like you said, it's it's a choice. Mm. Wow. So that that's the first thing, definitely. Yeah. So Josie, is this why you got into the business that you got into right now? So you do a lot of coaching, but mindset coaching, is, is was that your driver? It definitely had something to do with it. I was I was the head of learning and development for BHP when I moved in when I moved to Brisbane, I was still in HR and then I moved to learning and development. And I was responsible for, you know, putting together all the leadership training and supervisor training and team development training, all competency-based. And what I saw was that we were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on really good quality training programs and then people would come back to work and do what they did before. And I was, it just puzzled me. I'm like, why won't people change? Even when it's life and death, people still prefer convenience over change. You know, I'd rather take chemo than to change my lifestyle and my diet. Are you serious? You know, it's this, this convenience. And so things at work got to a point where there was an ethical situation where I took a stand and decided to leave, and that's when I came across the world of coaching. And a number of people said to me, Josie, you need to do this. You'd be really great at it. And within two weeks of starting the course, I had a full practice. <laughs> So it was true and I am good at it and I've sustained a full practice for 17 years and what I've supplemented to the coaching aspect of my work is all the neuroscience. So I have a particular sweet spot around resilience. That's what I did my thesis in. And then the other sweet spots I have is around navigating change and the growth or possibility mindset. And that's very much because you've experienced I guess, all of those uh, during your, your hero's journey. 
Absolutely, yes. Mm. And what's beautiful is that when you when you understand the principles, they apply across your whole life. So it's not just making me more effective and efficient at work. It actually makes me far more powerful and empowered across every area of my life, in my relationships, in my personal pursuits, as well as my professional aspirations. Wow, it's an amazing story. So with the benefit of hindsight, would you have done anything differently in your life? <laughs> well, part of me would say I would never have got married. <laughs> but then that's not a good thing because I think everything happens for a reason and, and it, you know, you learn a lot through adversity actually and you either get better or you get bitter and every time I've decided to get better, so I met my, my second husband. I'm not in a habit of collecting these um, seven years after um, the divorce of the first one. And we went on to have two beautiful, healthy children that I was told I could probably never have. And, you know, they're, they're just the greatest blessings of my life. Unfortunately, that marriage only survived 10 years um, and I've been by myself for 11 um, but again, over that time, I have grown. I really know who I am as a woman in the world. I really know what my, my calling is in life and, you know, my mission to be the best mother I can to these children and to also a community of kids through the, the childhood cancer support where I get to combine my passion for supporting people through cancer and my passion for kids. <laughs> Oh, I just love it. And I, it's so true. I think everything does happen for a reason. Absolutely. Mm. So, Josie, what we do, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to uh, share some of their pain points in business. Do you have any or deal with any uh, pain points? Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> so in 2010, um, I had cranial surgery for a brain tumour. And this happened in halfway point through my master's studies in neuroscience. So all of a sudden, I'd gone from studying everybody else's brain to seeing my brain on a screen, and that was surreal. And I was able to ask the neurosurgeon a lot of intricate questions that I probably shouldn't have known how to ask that made me dangerous, you know. So I had the surgery, and immediately after the surgery, I couldn't walk or talk properly for six months. But I knew the theory of how to retrain my brain. So that adversity actually forced me into a space of silence, which, you know, for an Italian who likes to use words and hands in communication was like torture. Um, but I learned to meditate. And I would never have learned to meditate if it wasn't for that experience because all of a sudden I couldn't walk and talk much anyway so I was kind of in this still point and after a, a month of being angry and resisting it I surrendered and all of a sudden I learned what mindfulness and meditation really was about in a very real and experiential way and that became the beginning of that healing journey to re recover my you know my motor skills and my speech and my capacity to get myself around again and it was it was cathartic. So it was also a time that I came out of that whole experience a lot more, I'll use the word spiritual, and I will associate it in a woo-woo sense because I went from one extreme, the world of analytical, 
you know, um, numbers-based finance and accounting, which was my, my background, to all of a sudden going into this space of, you know, wanting to access higher wisdom. And therefore, I wanted to change the nature of my business and the way I did my work. So I decided to drop my surname and call myself Josephine and I changed my website so it was this really, you know, spiritually looking and sounding site and all my clients that were corporate clients at the time ran away. It was almost like they, they lifted a cross and said, what are you on? We don't want any of it. It was a language that they couldn't relate to. It was so vastly different to the, the world that we had been connecting and working in before my surgery. And it was, you know, about a year after that that I was on my knees out in the backyard with my arms raised to the sky asking God, what is going on? Is this not what you want me to do, you know? And I, I, I sat on the grass and closed my eyes and just completely surrendered and I got a very clear message. And the message was, remember who you are. And then I got, I raised myself on my knees and I looked up at the skies, raised my hands again and said, and what the hell does that mean? And again, the words came to me, remember who you are. So I came inside, I sat down quietly, I sent one email out to my 12 top clients and within 24 hours I had 10 paying clients for the next 12 months. Wow. And so was that so what I'm tr I'm hearing is just to be yourself, don't try to be somebody else. And whether you have got a little bit of woo woo, uh woo woo and corporate, you just be that. Have that balance, whatever that is for you. I think for me it was like just because my journey sent me off into this world that is was quite different from the world I was operating on day to day doesn't mean that everybody else is able to relate to it, nor that they want to go there, nor that they're ready to go there. So the lesson for me was continue your spiritual journey, but don't assume everybody gets it. And just be patient and don't abandon the fabric that supports you to operate and support yourself on a day-to-day -day basis while at the same time you explore this other dimension of consciousness and conscious creation. So this brings me to the next question, which brings a lot of curiosity, I'm sure, for our listeners. What was that email? Because obviously you were going through that transformation piece where you were once upon a time in a corporate environment then you actually got into that meditation, mindfulness, into that spiritual side of, of who you are today. And you were merging the two. And like you said, not everybody was, was, I guess, ready for it. Or they're ready for it, but not so much aware of it. So what, what was in your email that made them go, yes? Okay. So, so what happened was the pendulum did a full swing. So I went from the pragmatic world of corporate relations and, and, and business to the, the whole other spectrum of, you know, spirituality and heightened consciousness. And so the way I was presenting myself for, in the world was very like this or that. It was complete duality. So I'd gone from, 
from being, say, blue to now being red, you know, and it was like the worlds just did not relate. So what I did was I realised that I could still harness the world that I was stepping into but continue to ground it in a language that was much more accessible to the environment that I needed to work within. So do does spirituality come into the, the nature of the coaching that I do today? Absolutely, yes. But I can't use those words. I can't use that language to relate to them because if I do, they run away. But when we get to session three or four together, all of a sudden we're talking about purpose and meaning, but we're not necessarily using the S word. So it's really keeping it um, appropriate to the audiences that you're wanting to influence, collaborate with and work with. So the email that I sent off was very pragmatic actually. So it basically said, okay, um, I, I can't remember how I started it. I'll try to remember But it was something like, right, I'm only taking on 10, 10 clients for the next 12 months. This is how it's, we're going to engage. This is how it's going to work. This is what it's going to include. This is what it's going to cost. Let me know by close of business tomorrow if you're interested first in best dress. So it was very much action stations, let's get serious, let's go. And so it was the old Josie coming back in a language that they could relate to. And, of course, they were like, we were waiting for you to come back to planet Earth, you know, so let's get happening. I just love that. It's so simple, isn't it, really? I just love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Josie, mm. what we do also with our Woman of Inspiration, we always ask our woman to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you? Bold. <laughs> I agree, absolutely bold. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing we ask our woman of inspiration is as we wrap up the show is what three golden nuggets would you like to give our listeners today? Three shiny okay. golden nuggets. All right. The first one would have to be that even when it doesn't feel like it, you always have choice. That's got to be the first one. You've always got choice. The second thing I'd say is, Take responsibility for yourself and your life. Like own yourself, own your life. Take responsibility for your happiness. Take responsibility for your unhappiness. And then the third one is that pain in life is inevitable. It's how we get to learn and grow. Suffering is optional. We do that to ourselves by the way we think, by personalizing everything that happens. But growth, is intentional. Oh, so I, fo focus on the growth. I love them and I agree with all of them. I love the piece about the responsibility because I think once you own it, you can work with it. But then when you blame mm. others or you blame your environment, blame whatever, it's harder to work with. Mm. So, Josie, how can our listeners find you? My website is josiethompson.com. So it's J-O-S-I-E-T-H-O-M-S-O-N.com. I'm also um, very active on Facebook. I've got two pages there. One's the business page and then the Josie A. Thompson is where I share a daily inspiration based on my morning meditations and they're quite inspiring and empowering as well. Love it. Thank you so much for your time and your energy today. It was wonderful, very inspiring. I'm still sitting here with goosebumps, so thank you so much. You're very welcome.
that brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed the show as it is my mission to reach out and inspire as many individuals like you. And one of the best ways to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. It's easy and it only takes about 10 seconds. If you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care.